A very good morning to all of you. Um, my name is Andrew Ekiban. I'm a member of All Nations Church. And I have the privilege today, awesome privilege, I might add, of serving you by bringing um, God's word to you today. Now, I know we've said a number of prayers already, but I'll, I'd also like to start with a prayer, if that's okay. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have prepared ahead of time for your congregation today. We ask the Lord you will go ahead of us and prepare hearts and minds to receive the word of God. The Lord, we will respond as, Lord, you have prepared on your heart for us to do, that we will receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' awesome name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Right, so today is the first of a series of about seven um, messages that we'll be covering over the, the summer. And so I'm going to start off <clears throat> by, first of all, giving a bit of an overview before I get into today's passage, because I think it, it will serve as well just to have a bit of a background. So these messages are coming from Revelation, and it has to do with the seven letters that are written to the seven churches. But really, it's a message to all churches because, because it's a prophetic word, it is not only true at the time that this was written, it remains true for us today. But right at the beginning, the message comes with a blessing. And I'm just going to read that before we get into the actual um, message or, or passages for today. It says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. So there is a blessing here for all of us as over the next few weeks we receive these messages and respond in obedience to them. So we're going to start off by reading um, Revelations 2 from verses 1 through till 7. This is the word of God. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. 
To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Amen. Now, obviously, there's quite a lot in there, and um, I've got something like 20 odd minutes to try and unpack that. So we'll see how that goes. Um, what I'll suggest also, and this is a bit of homework, if you like, it really helps to read chapter one in order to get a fuller picture of what's going on here. So in the verses we just read, there was a reference to the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now that is no one other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. So this message is coming from the Lord. But right from the beginning, we see that Christ is choosing to work with and through us because he's asking John to write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So I was really excited when I heard um, the songs that we were singing earlier on about basically working with Christ because this is what this message starts off with. It's, an, it's almost an, an, uh, an emphasis and a confirmation that this is Christ's mission from the beginning. He chooses to work with us because Jesus could have spoken to the angel directly, but he chooses not to. He chooses to work through the Apostle John by instructing him to write a message to the angel. Now, I believe that God is calling us to be co-workers, particularly in this season as we move into the season of revival. Increasingly, that relationship becomes important. But what does it actually mean to be a co-worker with Christ? I had this story uh, a while ago, and I thought it was really relevant in illustrating the point here. A pastor many years ago, um, when he was actually working his way through to becoming um, a minister, was in this church where they actually had Bibles issued out every morning so that people could read the word as it was being shared, because there are no iPhones or anything like that. And this guy had the unenviable task at the end of the preach, at the end of the service, to pick up all of the Bibles and put them away. And it got to a point where he thought, well, I don't really want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. Why should I do it? And in that moment, the Lord broke through and spoke to him saying, what difference does it make if today I'm asking you to pick up Bibles and tomorrow I'm asking you to raise the dead? The single strand that holds those two activities together is obedience. Now, obedience isn't always easy, but we're able to obey when we are surrendered to Christ. We've just been singing the song about surrendering. How appropriate and apposite that was. Because from that place of surrender, we're also able to obey. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave us that wonderful example, but poignant one as well, where in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
faced with his eminent demise, he says that awesome prayer, not my will, but yours be done. So church, we are called to be co-workers with Christ. It does require us to be obedient, and it does ask and require us to surrender. Now, this whole theme of obedience and surrender actually runs through um, a lot of what I'm going to say today. So hold that thought. Now, as we read on in verse 2, it starts off by saying, I know all the things you do. Again, this is an affirmation of who God is. Christ is declaring that he is the all-knowing God. And that message for us today is this, that God knows what all nations has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Now, what's important here is that although God is speaking, or the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his church, obviously the church is made up of people. So ultimately, when the Lord says, I know the things you do, he's speaking about what we do as groups, but also what we do as individuals. Now, when you hear the statement, and the Lord himself is saying, I know all the things you do. Now, for some of us, that might be quite liberating. For others, you might think, well, certain things I'd rather you didn't know I do. (laughs) But actually, I'd like to think that God says that to liberate us. When I read that, I was reminded of the story way back in Genesis, when the Lord is walking in the garden and Adam and Eve hide from the Lord. Obviously, sin had entered into that relationship. And Adam and Eve's response when they heard the Lord walking in the garden was to hide. So my question to you is, are you hiding from God? Is there anything in your lives today that is causing you not to feel comfortable in the presence of God? When you hear the Lord walking in the garden, what is your response? Well, here is the good news. Nothing we do or say is going to surprise God because he knows it all. So, If anything at all, God is asking you to come forward and have that conversation with him, sort things out, and move on. Now, you might say, well, I can't do this on my own. I need someone to talk to. We've got a wonderful response team here who are more than happy to help you. They will deal with whatever you have to say sensitively and compassionately. So I recommend that you speak to someone before you go today. I'm going to take the next few verses um, together. So the rest of verse 2 and all of verse 3, and indeed verse 6. In these verses, God is demonstrating 
the intimacy that he has with his church. Because here he talks about some of the things that they do. He singles out their hard work, their patient endurance, discernment, calling out liars, and finally not tolerating evil deeds and evil people. Now, you could think about this as almost like school reports, and I know we've all had one of those in our at some time in the past. Some of you are still getting them as you get through school. And it captures all your achievements for a period, but there is always that one subject. For some of you, it's PE, others it's maths, where the, the, the tutor would say something along the lines of, can do better. Yeah? Or there is room for improvement. But the only way you can come up with such a report is through an intimate relationship with the individuals that you're dealing with. So Christ here is demonstrating some intimacy, the intimacy he has with his church, that he knows them and he knows what they do. So all nations, church, God knows what we do. And this morning as I was driving up, I saw the guys loading the van, getting ready to go out to New Day. It's hard work patient endurance, but you know what? God knows, God has seen it, and God commends them for it. And I just use that as an example. There's so much going on across the church, I couldn't single everything out, but God knows, yeah? So, what does the rest of this report say? The Lord starts off with, if you like, the good news, the good things that the church is doing. And then we get to verse 4 where he says, but, and whenever you come across the word but, it means there's going to be a switch in momentum. And indeed there is here. This is the complaint that the Lord has against the church and I think we will just do well to actually reflect on it ourselves. And the complaint is pretty simple, but it's quite deep and um, certainly a poignant one. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, what struck me immediately was the fact that there seems to be a shift in this relationship. It hadn't always been the case that the church didn't love the Lord or didn't love each other, but this was the case now. So the obvious question is, what has changed? What has soured that relationship? Now, nothing, well, the, the, the message or, or the verses don't actually go into any detail specifically as to why this has happened or why these uh, relationships have been soured. But I think what is interesting is that whilst I was reading this, my mind went back to the book of Ephesians. 
where Paul writes the letter to the church in Ephesus. So we're dealing with the same church, different time, different season. But the message was predominantly, or certainly, we've got the last couple of chapters, where Paul expands a lot on relationships. So let's have a walk through very quickly on what the book of Ephesians says. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, is about our relationship with God. Chapter 5, verses 21 to 33, is about our relationships as husbands and wives. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, is about family relationships. And finally, chapter 6, verses 5 to 10, is about relationships in the workplace. Now, this covers about any, all the major areas of relationships that you will find um, in any group of people. And so, whilst we don't know exactly what's out their relationship, could it be that they had swapped works for relationship, emphasizing works instead of their relationship? Whatever the reason is, what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here is, you've got to go back and fix that. I see all that you do, and I commend you for it. But we've got to fix this. Now, why is the above so important? So I've got three reasons that I think underpins why these relationships are so important, particularly in the context of the church. First and foremost is because God is a God of relationships. We have the example in Matthew 5 where the Lord Jesus Christ says, if you are about to make an offering and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, put that offering down. Go and be reconciled with that person before you come back and make that offering. The Lord prioritizes relationship over service or sacrifice. The second reason why this is important is because, again, in John 14, verse 24, Jesus says, anyone who doesn't follow me will not, anyone who doesn't love me, sorry, will not obey me. It's very simple and straightforward. If you don't love me, you will not obey me. Now, bear in mind, we started off by saying, for us to be effective co-workers, it requires obedience and surrender. We're not going to be able to do that if we don't first love Christ. And finally, I don't like to dwell on this too much, but it's there, so we've got to deal with it. There are consequences for not obeying. And in Revelation 2, verse 5, we, we can read what the Lord has to say about that. Revelation 2, 
So verse 5 says, look how far you have fallen. So it's almost a time for us as a church to reflect. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. An encouragement for us to repent and obey. And here's the warning. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your your lampstand from its place among the churches. Friends, I believe this is a reminder to us as All Nations Church to protect the special place we hold as a beacon in Bedford and beyond. And this responsibility falls not just on the leaders or the elders of the church, but on every member of this church. And we do that through loving God, and indeed, as the great commandment says, and your neighbor as yourself. And we do this through whatever way Christ himself calls us to serve, whether through the seemingly mundane or indeed the miraculous. It also serves as a sober reminder for those who haven't received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I know we prayed earlier on for people to respond, and there is an opportunity for you to respond. That if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, he's reaching out to you today. He refers to himself as your first love. Because it's from that place of our relationship with Christ that every other relationship flows. Now, I'd like to end on a a rather hopefully encouraging word because that's the way the passage actually ends. And so if we have a look at verse 7, Christ has, if you like, a word of victory and a reward for all of us. So as anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, where does our victory come from? Our victory comes from Christ. Therefore, my understanding of this is this: as today we hear and we obey the Lord's call to repent and to restore our relationships, starting with him first and everything else, he gives us the victory. Now, sometimes this takes courage. Because when you ask God, what should I do to fix this? He's probably going to ask you to do something that would leave you uncomfortable. Or, like the pastor I referred to, something you just don't want to do. However, as a courageous people, we're going to rise up in courage. And as an obedient people, we will do our bit, which is to act in obedience. Loving God or indeed anybody else is a choice that we make. 
Having made that choice, I believe God gives us the tools to work it out. Now, when I read this verse, I was reminded again of what happened in the book of Genesis, because it refers to the tree of life. And the last time we encountered the tree of life was in the book of Genesis. And the story there ends, actually, with a totally broken relationship. Adam, who had access to the tree of life together with all the other trees, was now banished from the garden. That's a picture of a completely broken relationship. But in this final passage, the Lord is restoring relationships. And here's the good news, church. When the Lord restores, he doesn't simply take you back to where you were before. He takes you up another level. Listen to this. In the garden in Genesis, Adam had access to the tree of life. In chapter 7, sorry, in in verse 7, this is what we read. It says, the Lord himself, sorry, can we just go back to verse 7 for me, please? It's easier for me to read from the screen. It says, to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life. So Christ is not simply giving us access to the tree. It is as though the Lord himself has plucked the fruits of the tree and gives it as a reward to those who have responded and who have received his victory. So I say this to encourage us all. It may not be easy, but the Lord himself gives us the strength and the victory. And it is he who has called us to respond to his word today. So how do we respond to what the Lord has to say to us today? Well, first of all, do you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Because that's a starting point. If you're here today and you don't have that relationship, there's an opportunity for you to respond to that. Secondly, are you struggling with a relationship in your life? I refer to the uh, um, passages from Ephesians that captures almost every category of relationship. Well, there is hope. And the hope comes from he who gives us victory. So, we're going to respond because relationships are God's priority. And therefore, it should be your priority. And how are we going to respond? We're going to ask God to show us how to deal with those difficult situations, difficult relationships, so that we can fix them. Because God is asking us to fix them. And finally, when you hear what the Lord has asked you to do, 
have the courage to ordain. And that's it for now, church. There will be opportunity for us to respond. Thank you.